Well, hello, kiddies. It's the Bob McCowan Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. Are you tired of talking about the Jays yet this week? No, I'm not. But um, that's the interesting thing about baseball more than any other sport, at least for me, is that you can do this every day. You could do 51 minutes on the Toronto Blue Jays every day, especially during the offseason. Because you just go over and over with the, I could do this, I could do that, I could do this, I could do that. And uh, this is going to be, I I don't know, is this the last of our postseason analyses? Or you got no, I, I guarantee you we're I guarantee you we're gonna have somebody else. Well, that's fine. Um, I'll be interested to see where that conversation goes, but I'll be also interested to see where today's conversation Maybe goes. Maybe we'll get Ross Adkins. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe elephants will fly too. Um Shai Davidi's gonna join us from Sportsnet, who he and I tend to butt heads on a kind of a regular basis. Um, his analysis, as good as it is, rarely agrees with mine or vice versa. So we will see whether Mr. Davidi and I are on the same page postseason as, well, we'll see if we're on the same page. Shy Davidi of Sportsnet when we come back after these messages. Well, we have now had the better part of a week to digest what happened to the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, the uh, season that was good, bad, indifferent, and where we go next. Uh, so let's get on with it. Shai Davidi uh, joins us. Well, um, it wasn't just a quick exit. It was the manner of the quick exit that has sort of um, got everybody scratching their head. At least I'm scratching my head. Do you make significant change? I mean, you the, every team makes change at the end of a year, no matter how good the year is, no matter how bad the year was. You know, if you look back at the Blue Jays in 92, uh, they had, I think, 12 or 13 different players on the roster in 93 than they did in 92, and they won the World Series in both years. So change is an inevitability. But is it significant change that they need? Is It's not panic change, but... It, they they need to do something in order to at least create the perception of being better. Do they not? Well, I don't think that you want to go and start making moves just for the sake of perception. And look, I understand that everybody is still feeling really raw about this. I've heard a lot about it from just, uh, you know, the people in my network and that, that I've encountered and I get the raw emotion 100%. And to some degree, it's understandable. What I think it, everybody needs to step back is that substantial change doesn't have to happen because the majority, the vast majority of this group is under contractual control into next year. So you need to take a step back and realize this is a team that won 92 games, back-to-back -back years uh, of 90 wins for the, only the second time in franchise history. And this team didn't even play its best baseball until the final month and a half of the year. And the place that I look to right away for me that you have to get better at is the bullpen. And the bullpen was an issue in 21. Uh, it was an issue for parts, but less so in 22. But when you look at the way teams in the postseason bullpen the blue jersey a bit of a gap. There's too much contact in that bullpen. They need more swing and miss. It can't just be Jimmy Garcia and Jordan Romano. Uh, when the stakes are highest, they need a, a, another reliable arm or two in those spots. Uh, and then I think you look to tweak elsewhere. You know, do you look to try and do something in center field so you can get George Springer into right on a more consistent basis? Uh, can you find a left-handed hitter somewhere either at second base or in the corner outfield? To me, I, I think this is a remarkably talented core. And the fact that they won 92 games, despite all the issues that they had all year long, speaks to how talented they are. It's really just continuing to add to that talent and essentially finding the, the little margins where you can really make this group push further. 
Well, I, I don't disagree with anything you've said there. What I would add was that this is a team that also went through an entire season virtually without a fifth starter, at least a competent fifth starter. We know Yaguchi um, was that guy for a while, but he was horrible. And you dreaded every time the fifth starter position came up in the in the rotation. And they eventually just said to hell with that and we'll figure it out from there. And you have the possibility of losing Stripling. Would you sign Stripling, first of all? I mean, we have to, we'll get to economics, obviously, because that's going to be a part of this. But um, I think he was good enough. I, I'd look to re-sign him. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. I just think it, it, I wonder if he just gets priced out of the Blue Jays range. And, possible. And he's, to, to me, I look at him and he's the type of starter that so many teams can afford, that so many teams need that that market becomes really competitive in a way that it doesn't, you know, every year there seems to be those pitchers who uh, clubs glom onto because they're like, this works into our budget. You know, even Steven Matz last year might be a bit of an example. You know, he, you see the upside, uh, you you like what he brings to the table. It's not going to be a hundred million dollars. So everybody can afford it. And every, every team needs someone like him. So I think it's going to be a pretty robust market for, for Ross Stripling. He's earned that and uh, you know, full credit to him. Like he's, he was without him. I don't know that the Blue Jays get to 92 wins and uh, he deserves a ton of credit for what he accomplished. So uh, yeah, in a vacuum, I would resign him, but knowing some of the financial issues that teams coming up, uh, the team has coming up, not just this year, but in the years to come, I'm, I'm careful with how I'm allocating those dollars, but yeah, I, you, you're right about starting. Sorry, sorry, John, just you, you're right about starting pitching, but I don't think, I think they definitely need one, like they need one legitimate starter and they need someone else who can come in and compete for a job. And if, if I'm on the Blue Jays, I'm comfortable if I add one more reliable starter and then come into camp with Mitch White, Yusei Kikuchi and someone else competing for the fifth starters job. So I, I just want to go back to something you said in your first answer, Shai, um, about, you know, we have the core basically being still being under control. And obviously being under control in Major League Baseball is a big issue when you when you see second and third contracts coming up for people. I, I think the bigger question is, based on what we saw for most of the season, and I know it was only two games, but it was two, the two biggest games, is the core good enough? Is it good enough? Is that group of guys that they that this organization and the fan base have fallen in love with? It's not a problem that they've fallen in love with them, but that's a fact. They've fallen in love with this, this core. Is the core good enough? And should the core be changed even minimally, one or two players, in order to try to create better situations in the bullpen and maybe a fifth starter? Uh, well, I think it depends on what you mean by core. If you're talking well, about like Bo, Vladdy. No, uh, no, 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 I'm not. I, I, I mean, those two guys, they are. I mean, I, I don't know, even know how, how the organization would dis- define what the core is. Yeah. So I think the, the areas that you could possibly see some change are probably the corner outfield spots. So do they do something with Teoscar Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? Both those guys are eligible for free agency after 2023. That's one logical place. I can see them looking to potentially do something at second base, uh, even though you have Santiago Espinal. And that's a spot where you can maybe get a left-handed bat and you can work in there. Uh, I can see them tweaking the situation behind home plate, Mm -hmm. either uh, trading Gabriel Moreno or clearing space for Moreno with one of Danny Jansen or Alejandro Kirk. Like those are the areas where you could see some tweaks to the core, but the collective group of talent they have, I mean, I, 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 I understand what happened in the stakes in the, in those two games, but let's just like isolate what really happened. So Luis Castillo has the outing of his life in game one. Like nobody in the major leagues was hitting that. I don't care what team they were. He made maybe three or four mistakes that whole game and his mistakes were like 99. So, you know, good luck doing something with that. And then you look at what happened in game two. And to me, that's a bullpenning issue. That's 
you know, the one decision that I'll second guess John Schneider a little bit for is why why uh, Raimel Tapia was still in the outfield in the eighth inning and why Jackie Bradley Jr. wasn't in center and George Springer wasn't right. I understand they wanted to maybe milk uh, or avoid hitting Jackie Bradley Jr., uh, having him taken at bat in a relatively meaningful spot. It's a four-run lead, not a one-run lead. But it's six outs, you're up for get your best defense out there. That's that's the only one that I'll second guess, but I will concede there's an alternative argument to that. Uh, you know, and other than that, it's like, okay, well, Tim Mays has got to make a pitch there. If, if Tim Mays is letting it rip the way he can at 93 instead of like in 91, he's getting Carlos Santana in that spot and you're out of it. And at a certain point, Anthony Bass has got to make a pitch and Jordan Romano has to make a pitch. And that's where we're at. You know, like JP Crawford drops a ball. Like you could not have thrown it in the field in a more perfect spot. Like three guys just had, each had no chance for that ball. And then you saw the frightening collision that resulted in it. Like to, to draw the meaningful conclusion that this is, a, this is a, an indictment of the core, I think would be a, a huge mistake. Like are the changes needed? Absolutely. But you know, it's, it's making changes to the right spots and mm-hmm. no, that's, what that's the Blue fair. Jays have, what the Blue Jays have is really, really hard to put together. No argument. I mean, there's a whole bunch of situations here. I mean, number one, uh, I'm going to argue with you. You know, Schneider did a good job all year long. I, I, I have no issue with the the kind of job he did, but he messed up game two of the um, of, of the series. Why you went to to your, you tell me, third, fourth, fifth best reliever in that situation in Mesa is beyond me. I I don't know. I mean, we know what the result was. And that, to me, was where the game was essentially lost, was there, not with the bloop single to center field. Um, and I would not have put Mays in. In fact, uh, Kausman at the time, I think, was at 93 pitches when he was 95. Pulled, 95. Mm-hmm. Still, um, look, I'm going to go up and down the wire. You know, okay, regular season, you want to play – you know, I don't want the guy to pitch in for the third time to the line to the to the to the lineup. I don't want a guy throwing over 90, 95 pitches, certainly not over a hundred. Fine. But this is the postseason. This is the playoffs. This is win or win or lose. Gaussman had had two outs. Um, he did not look like he was out of gas in any way, shape, or form. A, I stay with him. Or B, if I'm going to the pen, I'm going for somebody serious. I'm going for you know, you're not going to get a situation that is more critical than bases loaded in the sixth inning. So where was, is Romero? Well, Shai said it. Shai said it. Garcia and Romano. You're not putting Romano in on the sixth, so that means it had to be Garcia. Well, then you put Garcia in, but you certainly don't put Mays in. So let me play devil's advocate and break that Good. down for you. Good. Good. So Kevin got, and I'm, and I'm not saying what your point is invalid. Obviously, we have the result and the outcome to judge us on. But just to play devil's advocate, Kevin Gosman gives that up, and you let him go, and he's going into uh, – he's at 95 pitches. He's facing Carlos Santana for the third time in a game, and in the previous at-bat, Carlos Santana missed a home run off him by about two inches. So there are a lot of signs that are telling you right there that – might be time up for Kevin Gosman and that a lot of times it's better one batter too early than one batter too late. So just a flip side on Kevin Gosman there. Like, I don't think, I don't think you can look at that and say, this was an egregious pull. A lot, there are a lot of indicators there that are saying this is a dangerous time to have that matchup objectively. Second it's an 8-1 game. Yes, the bases are loaded. But if you can't trust Tim Meza with a seven-run lead in that spot, then he can't be on the team. And they do trust him. And he just didn't execute in this one instance. But the reason that you go to Tim Meza in that spot is because it's Carlos Santana who's a switch hitter, followed by two lefties. And you want Jimmy Garcia uh, in for the – for the next third of the lineup, you want it for the top of the lineup when Julio Rodriguez is leading off. 
So that's Jimmy Garcia's natural spot. You don't want anybody else facing Julio Rodriguez in that spot other than mm -hmm. Jimmy Garcia. So mm -hmm. you've got to set him up in that way. And so the pieces sort of line up for that to be Tim Mays' spot. And really, like you look at the way that he executed in the after he got out of the, the top half of the inning and he started throwing a little bit harder, picking it up, and was like, where was that that first inning? Was he not ready? Did he not? If he if he throws that pitch that Santana hit at 93 instead of 91, we're not having this conversation right now. So I understand that you, how you can kind of look at the outcome and say, like, it messed up. And look, ultimately, it's a results business. And I think one of the, one of the to me, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but one of the more interesting debates within baseball is how sort of the where you where how you weigh process versus outcome right you can do as we know in baseball you can do all the wrong things and get the right decision and you can do all the right things and get the wrong outcome right so where is the balance in terms of assessing you know whether you had a good process and you were doing the right things uh versus you know you know just ma making blatant errors i don't see blatant errors here I see things that didn't work out, but I'm not sure that you can look at this objectively and say there are blatant errors here. Well, um, I do. I, I actually, I, I actually see blatant a blatant error, and that is I'm not going to Mesa in that situation. I'm either leaving Gausman in there, which is the number one choice, or I'm going to my next best reliever because I think. This is the critical situation in the game. It's unlikely that anything more critical is going to happen later in the game. So I want my best relief pitcher in there. As it turned out, you know, they asked their closer to, to throw two innings, essentially. Mm -hmm. Why did they do that? Because they had to. They got mm -hmm. themselves into a situation that where they had to do that. And 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 those were mistakes. Now, again. Well, that I'm was because gonna... Anthony Bass couldn't get through the eighth. Right. And Anthony Bass is, but, again, you acquired him to be one of your leverage guys in that spot. Right. Like that's, that's Anthony Bass's spot. And, Agreed. And he, and he didn't execute. So I, 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 I see, I see everything that you're saying, but it's also at a certain point. Okay. So uh, Mesa didn't do the job. Bass didn't do the job. And then, you know, you had Garcia. I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm going to guess because of the way they used him, limited number of pitches because he pitched the day before and you're probably mm -hmm. hoping to have him a bit the next day. So you're limiting the number of pitches that Jimmy Garcia is going to throw. So you, you're you working within all these restrictions and that that's part of this too. At a certain point, like you need your guys to do the job. Like Anthony Bass has to be able to do the job there. Do you, just, just out of curiosity, I, and I, I, we weren't, we weren't uh, a party to the... Uh, the Atkins presser. Do you think they ever considered Barrios? No. Like that's not a great spot to throw. Him not, in. Like, I mean, well, they weren't in a great spot, anyways. But uh, no, but but look, look at what happened with the Mariners throwing Robbie Ray in the ninth inning uh, against the Astros in Game One. There. Yeah, but they, I I would argue that it worked for them the night before the day before when when Kirby pitched the ninth inning. So they were out of options too right like i mean the, what would have been interesting is what a game three between those teams would have looked like because both those teams bullpens were beat to hell by that point yeah. so it would have been uh, it would have been a pretty messy game three uh between the clubs uh, obviously logan gilbert uh or, and ross stripling would have both had to go very deep for their teams uh it would have been it would have really been a survivor mode game and i think you know, already the Mariners were pretty beaten up getting to the Astros. And I think whoever would have emerged to the Astros, you know, the, the Astros would have been able to lick their lips at, uh, at just how torn up those clubs would have been. Well, let's go back to game one. Manoa was at what, 70, how many pitches? 73, 75 pitches. Mm -hmm. And he gets yanked. Um, it seems irrelevant given that the fact it was a, a four nothing game and that's how it ended. But the truth of the matter is you used yet to use your bullpen there um, in order to get to game two. And now the, mm -hmm. the the health of the bullpen, the ability of the bullpen to go long is in question because you had guys pitch in game one where they didn't need to. Manoa had at least 20 pitches left. 
but it you know what it comes down to inevitably is decisions by managers based upon how many times they're looking at the rotation more even than pitch count and i mean that's part of it but also you know manoa manoa wasn't exactly nails that day right he was fighting it the for the majority of that outing and but it's for nothing got, i don't care but, but you've got but you've got a pretty good offense that the, the offense felt runs. yeah we couldn't right. do anything i mean you're, no, you, you had a pitch you had a you, by your own account seven. right but i mean but you don't you don't just wave the white flag and let it get to six or seven right but he's at 73 he said 73 he gave up three runs in the first and he only given up one run since then and you're up against a pitcher who's throwing like darts by your own acknowledgement they, nobody was going to hit hit, hit that sure. guy. So, but you uh, don't wave the white flag. You keep the pressure on. Well, I'm not waving the white flag if I leave Manoa in for another 20 pitches. Maybe. I mean, at a certain point, you have to you have to think about what's best for the pitcher too, and what's best for your team. And what's best you know, for my team is saving my bullpen for the next day in case I need it. And they did need I, it. I don't disagree with that, but you're also trusting that you've got your guy Gosman. He's going to get, look, if Gosman, if that goes to plan, right. And Gosman, Gosman executes Mesa does the job in the sixth. Uh, you've got Mesa and, and, and Garcia in the seventh Bass in the eighth Romano in the ninth, like everything's fine. And then mm -hmm. you're okay for the next day. It comes down to guys just not executing which happens. You're right. You're hundred percent right. You, you are right about that. Like it, 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 under any kind of normal circumstance, an eight, one lead is, is, is cruise control. And we go, go to game three and let's see what happens. It didn't, it's a rarity. Um, and we do tend to overpick things, which probably means we should end this con this portion of the conversation <laughs> yeah. and just yeah. agree but, to disagree. Uh, but, 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 but you're also right. Like it is the playoffs. Like there's something to it. Like you can't just discount that and say it didn't mean anything. You're right. I just, do I just don't think that it ultimately it's a two game sample. Right. Like it's, it, the Mariners two weeks earlier, Lou, uh, what was it? A nine run lead against the Royals. It gave up an 11 run inning. Yeah. And lost 13-12. Like, these things do happen. The Astros blew a five-run lead in the eighth inning in game four of the 15 ALCS. Like, these things do happen. And they're crappy. They suck. But, you know, should you should you have blown up the entire Astros in 2015? Should the Mariners have blown themselves up after what happened against the Royals? Like, a team that lost 97 games? Like, I get, I get everything. It's not nothing, but it's not everything either. But in either, but let's face it, when 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 Shapiro and Atkins and the and the guys are sitting in the boardroom, um, they're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but they're saying, "Hey, listen, we've got to make some change. We have yes. to. We we can't put ourselves in these positions again, 100%. and not, and not have the right compensation in the right in the right places. We can't." Right. A hundred percent. And to me, it's just like, you just didn't have enough weapons in the bullpen. Like that's, that's what it came down to. Like it, 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 this is, if, if the Blue Jays have the Mariners bullpen, they're yeah. still playing right now. By the way, just out of curiosity, how, how close do you think the Jays were to getting Castillo at the deadline? Were they even in the market? I think they were poking around there. I, I don't think they were in the neighborhood at all. Like the Mariners just blew everyone out of the water. The, the two deals I think the Jays were close to um, were, I believe, and this is from what I've heard from other clubs, not from the Blue Jays, is that they were a finalist for Montes and Trevino, uh, who ended up going to the Yankees. Uh, mm -hmm. Then the Yankees put in a couple prospects late that sealed the deal and, and got it done with Oakland. And uh, I believe they were close on David Robertson, who ended up going to the Phillies in the end. And, you know, the Cubs ended just essentially liked the, the Phillies prospect better than the Blue Jays prospect. Okay. All right, we got we got a long way to go. Lot to talk about. Uh, Shai Davidi is with us. We'll take can a we, break. Can we, can we can we say we're not going to talk about those two games again? No. <laughs> uh, we'll be back after these messages. McCown and Shannon. Shai Davidi is uh, with us from. Uh, so in the sixth Center. inning. No, no, just kidding. <laughs> Let's. Uh, I got a bunch of other things I want to address here, um, and these are more future things. Would you bring the manager back first? Uh from what I know, it's, I, I think yes. Uh, 
again, there maybe there's some stuff behind the scenes that we haven't seen, but from the both public and private conversations I've had, uh, it seems that he's the right guy for this group for a number of different reasons. And I don't know how you can really argue against the job that he did. Obviously, game two is going to stick out for a lot of people, but he took a club that was in some trouble, uh, 46 and 42, coming out of a messy week in Oakland and Seattle, a lot of disarray on a number of fronts. And basically, he had had to hit the ground running and didn't have much time or an opportunity to, to set things. And he kept that team going and he got them through a couple tough stretches. Uh, uh, to me, this is, uh, he, he showed uh, a, a remarkable touch around different things. Uh, you think about the way that he handled certain situations uh, with some of the undisciplined play, some of the lackadaisical base running, some of the haphazard things that, that had happened around the club. Uh, I thought it was important when he called out Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for, for not running. I thought that was significant in a number of different ways. So uh, I, I think you saw some nice touches from him on delicate situations. And from, again, from the way that I understand that things are, have worked internally under him, it seems that he is the right guy for the job. But again, we're, we're only working with partial information. So that's what I based Well, on. Well, I want to get, I want to get to the Guerrero stuff specifically. Okay. He publicly calls him out, but what does he do behind the scenes? Did he, did he chew him out? Did he, did he pull him from a game? Did he make him sit? You know, I didn't see that. And I also didn't see a dramatic change in the way Guerrero runs out weak-ass ground balls to first base afterwards. You know, I saw laissez-faire going down first base. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that that message got through. The thing with this, this manager is he's been with these young players, specifically, you know, the shortstop and the first baseman, for a long time. And there's something to be said about that. But maybe he's too close to them. Maybe he is more friend than he is manager. Uh, and that is maybe the one significant thing that concerns me the most is there's, there is a time when you've got to be a disciplinarian, and I haven't seen him do that. So let's say pulling, uh, you say more friend than manager. If you're more friend than manager, do you, Bo Bichette, the second best hitter on your team, uh, or maybe the best hitter on your team, down to seventh in the lineup because he isn't producing? I mean, that's, uh, I, you know, I know Bo Bichette said the right things because he's a pro, but I, I don't think he was too happy about that. And, I, I, great. And, what did he do with Guerrero? Right. See, I know. So, so, so hang, hang with me for a second here. So, with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like plays every day, it. like he's he's working hard. Like you don't want him running out every ground ball. You wanting want him being smart. And actually, I had a good conversation with somebody, and he said the emphasis needs to be not on running hard all the way up first base. It should be running hard the first forty five feet, and then making a decision. If you've got no, if if you're going to be out. At that point, you can start pulling up a little bit and conserve your energy. But just go hard the first 45 feet until you know for sure what you need to do, right? Because you've got to be smart with your body. And in terms of benching him, you're trying to win. Every game matters. You need home field advantage. It's not better without Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So who are you going to sit him for? Are you going to sit Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for Kevin Biggio? What, you know, you're already down Lourdes Gurriel Jr. You're already down Santiago Espinal. Like, you're going to take Vladdy out of your lineup? So you have a conversation with him. And so when he confronted him after the game, Guerrero cut him off and said, that's on me. I've got to run faster. I know I screwed it up. He took accountability immediately with, with Schneider. So, yes, there's some, discipl some discipline. And, and Vladdy said it was all – he also said – that Schneider was was right to call him out in the media. So there's some accountability there. And I know we want like these harsh actions, but I think you have to be measured in what you're doing because 
it's different if you're doing that in May versus you're doing that in September. And it's different when you've got some margin for error versus every game counting in September. So, okay. and so okay. I think that's, that's how we have to evaluate those actions. I also, th- I also think that, hold on, Bob. I, I also think that how a manager manages in 2022 is different than we have seen in previous decades. Uh, you know, and I think we've seen this in all professional sports as the as the pendulum has swung towards being, you know, pro player and players, players having the advantage over management and teams because of salaries and contracts. I mean, this this he's half team psychologist, too. This is not Earl Weaver. You know, this is not fire and brimstone. This is trying to find a way. To, to be on that line to say, hey, listen, we have to be better. You have to be accountable and doing it in a manner that we don't get players to sulk anymore. And that I, I think John Schneider, let's first, I, I think Schneider should be back. I think they should have announced yesterday that he's coming back. That to me is a, a positive in a, in a, in a tough situation. Um, but I, I think that, that, that the world has changed in 2022. I don't think you can be the way you want Bob behind, even behind closed doors. Well, Shai has defended the manager on a couple of situations, and, and he, he's more than entitled to do that. But what, what Shai hasn't done is said, I want the manager back. I mean, I did say I think he should be back like, yeah, based on yeah. what I know, right? Yeah. And uh, again, and that was those are a couple of examples that, that I've cited. What I would also add, and John, I think everything you said there was really right. The, the other thing that you kind of need to take into account is that it's not the man. It's not a one-person job anymore, right? And it's like the managers are managers exist sort of in this um, Bermuda Triangle where they're balancing the information from the front office, they're balancing the thoughts of the other coaches, they're yep. balancing the needs of the players, and they're in between those three areas, trying to kind of find a middle ground and uniting everyone, all those different elements who sometimes have different interests or different ideas and different thoughts, and then building a collective and making decision making, th- making decisions through that process. So it is a va- it's not just I'm going with my gut and this is this, but they've before every game, they will have discussed any number of different scenarios and said, if this comes up, we like this guy versus these guys for these reasons. This is the data set that supports that uh, because this guy's pitches move this way and this guy's swing through this way. And this is this, this guy's vulnerability. This is the best group of hitters for this pitcher to face. This is, and, and, the, and the Blue Jays aren't alone in that. Like Chris Martin, who closed out game one for the Dodgers, uh, he said he didn't know he was going to get the ninth inning but he knew which hitters it was going to get, uh, but it depended when their situation came up in the lineup. So if that group of hitters came up in the eighth, he was pitching the eighth. That group of hitters came up in the seventh. He was pitching the seventh. That group of hitters came up in the ninth. Out he Mm -hmm. came. He closes out the game. So this is how these are. This is how the game is working these days. And and I'm not sure how many people would argue with what the Dodgers are doing because the Dodgers do pretty much everything at the best level possible. All right, let's get on to a bunch of other stuff. That means Bob doesn't agree, but he doesn't. It, but he, he he knows he's fighting against. No, I think it. the conversation has ended. I've acknowledged, and look at. I'm not negative on this manager. I'm waiting to see what happens. Um, I don't think it. Well, you're waiting for Terry Francona to be fired, or what? Come on. Sorry. You're waiting for Terry Francona to be fired. That's not going to happen. I, I, I didn't mention Terry Francona at any point during this, and I don't know why you did either. Um, let's get on to some other stuff. Would you trade Hernandez? Don't you think you have to? I think he may be one of the likeliest candidates to be traded. I would have traded him before this year started, even though he had a pretty good end of the year. Um, uh, the challenge with trading Teoscar Hernandez is – so he's uh, made MLB trade rumors projected his arbitration number to be about $14 million, right? So it's, you have to find a team that's willing to take one year of Teoscar, uh, can afford $14 million and can still give you something of value back. I think the challenge for the Blue Jays is getting 
equal value back for Tay Oscar. And do I think that's a, a spot where they could use the change? Uh, absolutely. I think that's where they can use some change. And it's somewhere where they could change the handedness uh, and change. I, I, I thought it was very intriguing to hear Atkins say one of the things that we're going to really look into uh, and research a little bit more is whether they have too many similar types hit type of hitters and that makes it easier for other clubs to game plan and for other pitchers to stay in a certain attack mode mm-hmm. and, and, and see if they can adapt to that. Isn't and, that their new version of saying that we need more guys from the left side? I mean, it not, but it's not necessarily from the left side, just needing some different types of hitters, right? Like one of the things I think they really missed Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Even though they were still put up good numbers and uh, had success, they that lineup really misses Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Because he is different than everything else they have in that lineup. Mm-hmm. It makes contact, goes to all the different fields, hits kind of pitching, really good pitching, uh, high velocity, breaking balls. Like he does it all. So he, they need, ideally you get that and it's left-handed too, or a switch hitter, but they could use Guriel's profile in that lineup. So mm-hmm. uh, that to me is, you know, Teoscar is similar to, to Vladdy a little bit. Uh, again, not, not in talent, talent level, but in the way he's going to get attacked. Uh, and there's, you know, you're, you're probably trying to, to work George Springer in a similar way and, so, so maybe you get different that way. Uh, so I think because of the control, the uh, likelihood that Hernandez would leave as a free agent just based on where salaries are going for this team and where his number probably ends up, uh, all those factors to me likely make him a candidate uh, to be considered for trade. Okay, a bunch of other things. You've got three catchers. Um, the time has probably come when you're going to get rid of one of them. Um, Kirk has what three or four more years before you have to worry about uh, him economically. I believe four years of control yeah. left. And Jansen has one more, I think. Uh, two more after this one. Two. Okay. Does that matter in terms of this decision you make? And would you keep Kirk or would you keep Jansen? So, to me, in the best case scenario, I, I keep both. Like. But that's not the best case scenario. You've got you've got to add to this. No, team. but that means You're he's trading Moreno. Through. That means he's getting rid of Moreno. Yeah, you you can trade Moreno. Tra- tra- you could m- maybe, right? Uh, look, this is this is just too convenient, and it's me cherry picking, and probably not doable. But you know, like if you could trade, say, Moreno for Dylan Carson from the Cardinals, right? Uh, two young, controllable players. Maybe it needs to be Kirk for Carlson. I don't know, but the Cardinals could use a catcher established catcher with uh, Molina retiring right. uh, the Jays could use a switch hitting center fielder uh, there. It's a nice fit. I, I mean, the Cardinals I'm sure don't want to create uh, fill one hole by creating another, but that's uh that's an interesting fit for the Jays. Right. And that's a way to turn things over. Maybe you do something uh, for new bar there and you know, it's, it's a right fielder and Springer stays in center. Like the, the there, there are certainly opportunities for creativity. The thing is, really enviable spot with your catchers right now. Like, really enviable spot because everybody's looking for the type of catching that the Jays have. You know, Jansen, for a long time, even before he was hitting the way he was, I felt he was underappreciated uh, in this market because of what he brings to a pitching staff, the way he handles them. And, you know, now that he's hitting too, it's, you know, he's great. If you could find a way to keep both those guys, your major league team is strong. It's hard to integrate a young catcher into a club that's contending. So, you know, I think that's why, and and Atkins acknowledged this, why they're starting to look at some different positions for Moreno with him moving around the diamond. And that's sort of the dream scenario where you've got a guy who's bouncing around who can play catcher as well. You're protected against injury. You can run, you can do the, the catcher DH thing. It gives you a lot of flexibility. That one to me is interesting. I don't think that you necessarily go into the off season saying I have to move one of these guys, but I do think that's an area of opportunity for them. That's going to really be explored. 
Well, of course. And there's another name here I want to throw out who I think impressed everybody in a very limited way, but has shown through his minor league progression that he could be a, a good major league player, and that's Lopez. Tell me what you do with him. He's 24 years old. He's at the point where he should, you know, now's the time where you get to the major leagues. He doesn't really have a place to play unless he's a backup. I know he can play the outfield a bit, um, but he can play the middle of the middle of the diamond. And yet you've got all kinds of guys in the middle of the diamond. What are you going to do with him? Yeah. I mean, he's got a chance to be a bench player. He's still got options left. So he's a nice piece to have sitting in Buffalo in case an injury arises. And, you know, maybe he's your super utility guy, but, you know, you've got Whit Merrifield on this team now too. I know. And so that makes it a little bit more complicated. But to me, the the decision on Lopez, you've got you've got another year with that. Uh, he can he can bounce back and forth between Buffalo and the majors, and he can just be that guy who's uh, just caught up in the numbers game. And it's a uh, it's an unfortunate situation for him, and, and that's fine, right? Like you want you want that. If you're a good team, then you have that. And so. I don't know that you have to do more with Lopez right now than, than what it is. I'm not sure that you want to, him to be an everyday guy for you. I think if he's, uh, you know, some sort of super utility and off the bench and playing different spots, that's a, that's a good outcome for him, uh, for, for you with him. And, you know, that again, there, there's just, there's just runway with that one. So I, I don't think we're at a decision point with him. When, when the 23 season starts, how important is it for George Springer to be in right field? Really interesting question. It, like this is coming. If it's not 23, it's going to be 24. So I do, personally, I don't think it's essential. I think they could do another year in center with him. Does he have a preference by the way? I don't think he has a, a preference. I think he's, he's flexible enough for what's best for the team. Uh, but if they're going to have a center fielder, I think they, or if they're going to move him into right permanently, I think that he'd want it to be for, for someone who's good, someone good. I don't want, mm-hmm. I don't think he'd want them to take a lesser player than Tay Oscar and put him in center just so that he can play right field. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, uh, I do think that's a, that's a, that's a place if you can find him like a left-handed hitting center fielder. And again, I'm just pie in the sky in this, this is sure. based on any information, but you know, if you could maybe pry Trent Grisham from the Padres for a catcher or something like that, to, to me, that that's, that's interesting. And then you say, okay, well, you're getting a little bit of speed in defense and maybe you're giving up some offense, but if you get better in these areas, you're subtracting there and you get more George Springer in right that might be a, a good package. So uh, I, I do think the Blue Jays have a number of ways to be creative. Uh, and I'd expect that we're going to see them make a number of efforts in that, in, in that regard. But Bradley in center field is not one of them. Well, cause he can't hit well enough. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't I, disagree, I, John. I, I love Jackie Bradley jr. On the bench for this team as a defensive uh, player and a, and a base runner, he may want to find a place, uh, a place or a team that's going to give him a bit more opportunity. Uh, I thought what he brought to the team was uh, underappreciated, uh, just as reliable a defender as you're going to find. Can go get it, makes makes difficult plays look easy. Um, I, I think I think you can always find room on your team for someone like him. Uh. What, where is Espinal on this team? Is he your everyday second baseman? Is he a part-time second baseman? He was an all-star at, at, at the break. Um, but I don't think he's, I, I don't think there's a guarantee that he's with this team come next year. Do you? Uh, you mean like they might trade him or? Well, they have Merrifield. They got to find a place for him. Well, I think Merrifield right now is the part-time player and Espinal would be the regular. Uh, I do think that the Jays, one of the reasons the Blue Jays acquired Merrifield, I mean, for a number of reasons, but they wanted to have protection at second base in case Espinal was injured. And then, you know, this is the first time he went wire to wire in that role and you couldn't be a hundred percent certain what to expect, but Espinal has continually 
outperformed the expectations of him and continues to find ways to get better, I don't think they're going to run away from him, that he's going to get some more run there. But at the same time, they're, they're, they've got to build in a safety net, and Whit Merrifield is part of that safety net. You don't think you have to make him an everyday guy? Oh, I do. Okay. But I think you have to have a backup plan just in case. And maybe you want to have a left-handed option if there are some extremely tough righties that he doesn't match up well against. I don't, look, I don't disagree with anything you've said. It's just there are, there are options at second base now that didn't exist before. And if you're looking for trade candidates in order to get pitching, um, there's another one. And I'm just trying Maybe. to ident- identify who are the guys that might be available to other teams in exchange for pitching. Because as we know, generally speaking, if, you aren't, if you're trying to trade for a pitcher, especially a starting pitcher, it's going to be multiple players are going to go for that guy. And it could be young players, but it could be a couple of guys from your roster. Mm-hmm. Hernandez is on the list as a possible trade candidate. And I would say Espinal is another guy that you don't necessarily want to trade, but could possibly be available. And, and I and I and I think Bobby, you would you would agree that the third person on that list is a catcher. I think the first person on that list is a catcher. Okay, so you, you think it's Kirk, though, don't you? I do. Yeah, I think you trade Kirk, you keep Stripling, or you keep um, uh, Jansen and Moreno. And Moreno. And Moreno can DH for you as well. He seems to, he looks like he's a good hitter. Um, he can DH if you need him, but you have other guys on your bench that could DH. It doesn't have to be your catcher, which is sort of the scenario we ran into this year. And I'm not saying that was a bad idea. I think it was the right idea that when Kirk wasn't catching, he essentially was the DH. He was the best hitter you had. So I, I don't see that as a problem. Um, I mean, if they traded, if they traded Jansen and not Kirk, I'd understand. I'd be okay with that. But I think one of your catchers has to go, to be honest with you. I don't think you can afford to have three and improve your roster. And the other part of this, I think there are ways, I I still think there are ways that you can improve it without having to trade one of those guys. I think the only way you're trading one of those guys, if you're getting is if you're getting a young controllable player back. Right. 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 You're not going to trade any, well, you're not going to trade gonna... chicken shit for chicken salad. I understand that. Yeah, no, or but like even like a veteran player, right? Oh, like but if I did. Trading, I... If you're trading Jansen, I don't know if you're trading him for you know a player like you. You got two years of Jansen. I don't know if you're trading him for you know a pitcher with one year of control or something like that. Um, I I think these I think a lot of these deals are more complicated than we think because oh, I know they are they, 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 they'd have you. to match up with like need for need with somebody on certain right. on certain players and like th- th- this isn't um you know like a, a dump trade that you're you're looking to use these guys in somebody's dump trade and you know that that was going to be pretty difficult for yeah. for the for the blue jays to pull off because i don't think they want to strip their minor league system much further and I think we saw that at the trade deadline with the way they conducted themselves. There were a group of prospects that they were determined to use and a group yeah. of prospects that were hands-off. Right. And I think yeah. that's going to extend to this offseason. We got to go, but I, we, we've got to go soon. But I, 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 the only thing I would say, and I think Bob would agree, is that if in trade value, in pure, unadulterated trade value, you could get more for Kirk than you could for Jansen. And the question is, if you're interested in trading Moreno, could you get more for Moreno than you could Kirk? That's the question. Oh, well, I mean, I don't again, think so. You, okay. you know what Kirk is. You don't yeah, know what Moreno I, is. Well, yeah. then, then, yeah. then, then I, and there's, I, and there's four years of Kirk, like it's four well, years of a, of a, of a knowable quantity. Right. So that, that to me, that makes it obvious. And this is a good team trying to get better. The trades that they're going to make are not going to be for mediocrity. They're going to be for, something good and in order to get something good you're gonna have to give up something good and that's always the hard part uh davidi we must off uh we thank you very much for your insight as always um we uh we i know we will talk to you over the course of the winter but um enjoy your off season at the very least and thanks a lot for today no problem guys and it should be uh should be a fun winter i think there's gonna be a, a lot of fun discussions and a lot of opportunity to break down and debate the different decisions that are coming oh i agree with you there Um, That's Shai Davidi of Sportsnet. We'll take the break. Come back after these messages.
Uh, we are back. McCowan here, Shannon there, and uh, Davidi is gone, we, but, but we thank him as always. Um, I thought we were closer to being on the same page as uh, I, I, I might have expected. Yeah. Well, I think there's, I think there's obvious places that, that if this team is to make change, um, I think everybody's in really good agreement. Left field, right field, catcher. You know, the part that we didn't emphasize that I, I, sh I want to mention is, is economics, because economics are going to play a big role in this. You know, this team has spent a lot of money, and I'm not sure how much more Rodgers is going to give. And remember, you've got a bunch of guys who need, who are going to get bumped, and you have um, Bichette's going to get bumped. Hernandez is going to get bumped, assuming he's with the team. Don't um, forget Vladdy. Vladdy, not this year. Vladdy no, gets bumped next but year. But I mean, but, you have you have to. But mean, these are all things that are coming. You're right. right. You know, these are all things that are coming. We've known they're coming. Yeah. And you got a bunch of $20 million guys out there. Ryu, you're getting nothing from. Um, you got one more year of him. Um, you know, you've got, there's, there are going to be financial issues over the next year or two. You're mm -hmm. on the tip of them. Yeah. Are we going to see them start to prepare for that? Or, you know, what direction are we going? Like, what if Rogers says, you know, we're not going to spend $200 million anymore. I don't even know what they spend. You know, we want, we well, want they're, they're, listen, between the team and renovating the stadium, they're committed now. I get it. They're committed. But what kind of money do Bichette and, and Guerrero oh, get? God. We need, you know? we, we need accountants for that. Exactly. Okay. And there's not a whole, you know, you're not going to have a, a staff of $20 million starting pitchers and a $25 million center fielder and on and on and on. You know, at some point, the gravy train has to end and you have to cut some corners here or there. Mm -hmm. And I wonder whether this is a year they start to prepare for that, which yeah. is why I bring up the Henderson thing. We got to go. You know, uh, that's a, it for us. We'll see you again tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody.